Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, podcast? It's Corey from Best Served. This podcast is a clubhouse recording called Friday Food News Roundup from October 29th, 2021. Tune in every Friday for the News Roundup Hour as our diverse crew of industry leaders breaks down the current affairs of all things food, beverage, and hospitality. We take a select few topics directly from the headlines and forms to give you a 360-degree view. This was a spirited conversation, and I hope you guys enjoy. It's on the hour. I'm going to go. We'll get Kyle and everyone else added in. We've got lots and lots to talk about. So welcome, everybody, to Friday Food News Roundup. This room is recorded. This is the first of the weekly Friday Food News Roundup. Really excited about this. Just bring kind of a, a, a regular weekly check-in on, on current affairs, what's happening across food, beverage, hospitality world. And, uh, and Jeannie, good to see you there. Just having our, uh, our kind of regular crew each week, and then we'll also uh, have some, uh, some kind of specialist guest speakers coming in. But basically what you can expect from this is two to four topics that, that we're digging into, uh, drawn straight from uh, the headlines. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of an insight into what we're going to be hearing today. And we're just going to go kind of roundtable style and get everyone's perspective. We got you know, different parts of the country and world. We got different parts of the, uh, the food industry and segments. So I think we can get a really dynamic conversation going and just kind of checking in what's happening across the industry. So for today, we're going to be talking about three specific articles that we kind of pulled that, uh, that we wanted to, to dig into a little bit. So from Nation's Restaurant News, there was a Headline, here's how four restaurants are addressing the labor crisis in creative ways. We'll get into that a little bit. From CNBC, Chipotle earnings crush estimates as sales jump 22% higher menu prices offset rising costs. And then we're going to talk about Whole Foods Market Reveals Top 10 Food Trends for 2022. Some of them we like, some are cringeworthy, and we'll get into that a little bit. For anybody in the room... Uh, as we go along, uh, we'll probably have about 15 minutes for each of these that we'll talk about. And then that leads just a little bit of time at the end to maybe have somebody throw an idea in and uh, we can rapid fire there at the end to be able to, to maybe bring a story that's top of mind for you into the limelight a little bit. And then anybody in the room, anybody listening on the recording of this podcast, which will be available just in a couple hours here on Best Served Podcast on Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so that it is stays on that Friday food news roundup tip. Uh, you can send us links info at besterpodcast.com. Each week, this team of pundits on our Slack channel are going to be sharing kind of the current affairs things that uh, we might want to be talking about. And we'd love to hear from you on what is top of mind in your world. So info at besterpodcast.com is where you can go ahead and email us and send us any potential leads on things that we might discuss. All right. Uh, I'm going to go around, just uh, introduce speakers very quickly. And uh, we got Sean P. Walshef of Cali Barbecue and Cali Barbecue Media and Digital Hospitality Podcast based out in San Diego, California. Uh, Sean, since we, we got food trends, I want to know what's the one thing that's always in your pantry or in your house? What's the one food? Uh, we are Bulgarian. My family, my wife is Bulgarian. So the one thing that we always have is Bulgarian yogurt. I don't know what that is, and I'm excited for you to uh, introduce me to that. All right, we got uh, uh, Kiana Montgomery, uh, KI Takeaways, uh, PR Maven with us as well. Kiana, uh, out in Detroit, what's always in your house? What one food item? I'm to say popcorn. It's one of my favorite things to eat, and I don't really feel that guilty once I eat it. Um, and the fact that I can get it in a variety of flavors always makes me feel good, too. If I get tired of one thing, I can always switch over. I'm all in. Popcorn, big, big fan. Love it. Uh, Hassel of Biles, 
is the founder of Not9to5.org, really, really focused on uh, the mental health support of hospitality workers based in Toronto, Canada. Sal, same for you. What's, what's, what's always in the fridge? What's always in the pantry? Hello. Thanks for having me. Always in the pantry. I love the popcorn answer, but um, hot sauce. So many different kinds of hot sauce, so many different kinds of hot peppers, spice. This, this panel is perfect. Like I'm like literally going to raid each of your fridges and pantries because we are simpatico, uh, to say the least. Got Jeannie Chun with us, uh, who is a founding member of the Independent Restaurant Coalition, is the founder of Seattle Restaurants United, based there in Washington State. Jeannie, same for you. What's, what's, uh, what's always on the menu for you? What's always in the house? I feel like Hassel stole my answer, but um, I'm going to go with ginger. Like, always have ginger in the house to make tea or obviously to cook with. It's a tonic ingredient. Yep, I'm going to keep saying it. I'm with you 100%. Uh, raw ginger and pickle ginger are, are always in the house. Last but not least with us, uh, we have Zoe and Janyo from Zoe's Ghana Kitchen. With the new re- newly released cookbook, Zoe, so excited! Uh, just had you on the show, and uh, really honored to have you here. So, for you, you introduced me to a lot of new spices, a lot of new uh, dishes. What's the what's the one spice in the pantry that you cannot live without? Hello, sorry, Jensen, <laughs> forgotten how to use Clubhouse. <laughs> um, the one uh, thing, yeah, it's gonna be. I was gonna say condiment i was going to say shito but spice would be dawa dawa which is fermented locust bean because it's um it's a you know it's an umami bomb essentially it's a fermented locust bean it's got loads of savory umami going on i can use it in vegan i can use it in meat dishes i can use it as a stock enhancer a flavor enhancer it's very very versatile bake with it it's great. I love it. Dawa Dawa. It's my magic. It's not so secret weapon now that the cookbook's out. <laughs> hey, Dawa Dawa, I'm, I'm on it. Never had it. I'm excited to build it into the repertoire. All right. That is going to be our, our panel of pundits for today. And like I said, we're going to spend about 15 minutes on each of these three different headlines that we're pulling from speakers. Uh, we're going to just kind of jump in. You, you all know kind of the etiquette. Take a look at who's... Uh, uh, unmute that microphone first. Uh, everyone will get a chance to speak on on each of these topics. You know, take give us your ninety second, two minutes uh, kind of uh, idea, thoughts, strategies, pain points, anything that we want to add context to kind of what is out there uh, and understanding the the current landscape that we're in. So. We're going to start with this nascent restaurant news. Here's how four restaurants are addressing the labor crisis in creative ways. I'm going to go through these very quick, the four that they mentioned. Arkansas-based Explore Restaurant Group playing their high school students one hour a shift of time to do their homework. Also, a bonus of $100 for an A and $20 for a B. So that was number one. Uh, then we saw uh, Greg Jones, uh, who was the, the uh, CEO of the company said, you know, it allows them to attract employees who might be interested in a culinary career in the future. It also gives them a way to, to crack the code and give back to the community by providing good jobs, school support, and teaching kids a great work ethic. Uh, Tim Downing, franchisee of four Jersey Mike's restaurants in Pewaukee, Wisconsin area, starting a program and buying cars for employees. That was born from not employees struggling to be able to uh, have reliable transportation. We also then saw uh, Raising Cane's is sending its corporate team of over 250 out to work in the store locations as uh, frontline store-level workers. And finally, Ted's Montana Grill, Atlanta-based chain founded by Ted Turner and George McCaro, announced that they'll be closing for the first time on Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve to give employees a break during these challenging times, which... Turned out those two days were uh, two of their biggest sales days of the year. So a lot of different dynamic happening around around labor shortage and big air quotes, right? And uh, we can dig into the broader aspect of labor shortage, what that means. We can also talk about some creative ways that we might be thinking about attracting and retaining talent. 
that's that's what I got. Anybody here, jump in. Let's talk about labor shortages. Let's talk about these specific initiatives and these businesses. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about labor. What do you got? Uh, I'll jump in, Jensen, on that one very quickly. Um, I have mixed feelings, honestly, on on that report because you know what they should do is just pay people properly, um, and you know staff training and development should already be. A, a core, <laughs> a core tool or strategy within any business if you want to keep, retain, and improve the staff you have. And then I don't know. There's also a bit of, you know, just paid leave is like what America needs. Honestly, paid leave should be like a standard. Sick leave should be like paid sick leave should be a standard. And I think some of this is a little bit gimmicky. I think, you know, and also. What are you saying? If you get an A, so clever people earn more money, that's like not an okay um, line of thinking. Just because you're better at tests doesn't mean you're smarter than the person next to you necessarily, you know. So it kind of, some of it reinforces terrible ideas around what education should be. Some of it reinforces terrible ideas around um, who deserves to get paid or not. And honestly, like, I just feel like really the answer is just pay your staff properly, um, commit to staff development and training, and give people time off so they don't have mental breakdowns working for you, essentially. That's my take on all of it, really. I'm going to jump in. Yes to everything you said, Zoe. Zo Sorry, is it Zoe or Zoe? It's Zoe, yeah. Zoe, thank you. Um, you know, um, Jensen, while you were reading those off, to me, I was like, man, like, why do we even have homework? What are we training our children, you know, to do? It's just like, they're in school for eight hours. And then it's just like, oh, but you also need to continue to work after you've left. You know, it just like, it instills this mentality of like, what we're educating our children to be prepared for when they enter the workforce, you know? Like, do I appreciate that this business is like, oh, we're going to pay you to do your homework, I suppose. But at the same time, we need to question the entire system. And what do we like? What is this work ethic? You know what I mean? Where it's just like, you don't get to rest after eight hours, you need to continue to work once you've reached the sanctity of your home, you know, and like this, like car thing, where it's just like, I appreciate that, you know, what they're trying to do, where they're just like, oh, people don't have you know, a, a mode of transportation. It's just like, well, why the fuck can't they live in the city that they work in? Why can't they live in the neighborhood that they, you know, are working in? Like, it's ridiculous. And like, quite frankly, if you're like, why are you only investing in your workers? Like, you should be investing in the community. Why don't you put your energy towards making sure that there's proper public transportation for everybody to get to and from work? You feel me? You know what I'm saying? It's just like, and like, the bar is so fucking low that we get, we should be thankful that we get Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve off. Like, give me a break. Like, what the hell? Like, that is the standard. Like, we just need to set the bar higher, in my opinion. So, fair warning, I curse a lot, just FYI. I think I've just exemplified that, so. I love it so much. Uh, Jeannie, Zoe, all of it. Yes, all of that. Capitalism is alive and well, unfortunately. And I, as a mom, I really appreciate what you just shared, Jeannie, because it's true. My kids are at school all day and then they're coming home and continuing and it never ends. There's no time for physical health. There's no time for extracurricular activities or art or expression or rest. Um, but I also love, Zoe, what you said about, like, why aren't these things just standard? Why aren't they just, like, they're pretty basic, you know? Like, the line, the bottom, like, like yeah, we're just, the standard is too low. The line's at the bottom, and we're, like, supposed to be impressed by offering just, like, adequate compensation and physical safety, psychological safety, um, you know, support, benefits, like, all these things that don't exist in our industry as much unfortunately just seem like they're this added bonus and they're not an added bonus they're really basic they're really really basic our industry really needs to set the bar higher it's really pathetic that we are getting excited about adequate compensation that should just be given that's an automatic it's not like a nice to have 
unfortunately we've been underpaid and overworked for so long that we think that that's an exciting thing paying people to do their homework that makes like i guess that's kind of interesting but not really um i think that there's just there needs to just be a more safe space for folks to work in so that you are you know able to do your job and not be dealing with workplace trauma as an aspect of your job um and i think that that's become standard in this industry and so we're going against centuries it's going to take a long time but i think you know if we really want to address how to employ sorry how to retain and and attract employees um yeah we need to catch up to the standard and then and then we can add other nice to haves on top of that but we haven't even reached the standard level so i think if there were more environments that were reaching the standard level of like i said adequate compensation physical and psychological safety and employee supports and benefits in terms of a culture then yeah we wouldn't have this current you know problem that we have with retaining and attracting talent Yeah, I'd love to jump in. Um, everyone's point so far, I definitely agree with. I think this past two and a half years or year and a half, two years has really shown us that, you know, as a culture, we're waking up to, you know, prioritizing our own personal growth and mental health. And, you know, we're not looking towards or looking forward to helping someone else build our own dream, their own dreams versus ours. So I think as far as I do see that as far as the ultimate goal and answer, this is a very small step forward. But as far as thinking of the smaller goal of just employee retention, I do think that they were able to think out the box and kind of give something that wasn't, isn't an industry standard and maybe unique to what our climate is today. But I'm also interested to see what did they offer to the adults that work there? Because if I'm an adult coming in and working just as strong as, you know, the, the teenager next to me, am I getting, you know, help with babysitting? Am I, you know, getting an extra paid day off or anything like that? Um, but I do think as far as like what the future of the climate is right now, chefs and business owners, entrepreneurs, we will have to think outside the box on retaining other people to help us move our own dreams forward because everyone is looking to see how can they become in a place where they can first prioritize spending more time with family and friends. I think COVID has definitely taught us that, but you, you don't know when people's last day is. So you need to make sure that you're there for the people you care about for one. And for two, how can you you know, make money that you can live on. And unfor unfortunately, the industry of, you know, food and beverage has not been able to push America forward as far as people that need to be able to work a, and make a living wage. It's not where it needs to be so far at all. Sean, you want to jump in, put a, put a bow in this before we move to the next one? Sure, I'll try my best to put a bow in it. Yeah, I guess I come at it from a different angle. I mean, we're a barbecue media company. So as much as we talk about food and cover food and talk about the industry um, on a practical on the practical side, we're trying our best to run our barbecue business um, and running a barbecue business in San Diego from 2008 at the height of the economic recession when we only had 18 employees and we we're struggling to pay payroll and struggling to figure out how to run a profitable restaurant. I mean, it took us five years to to get to that point and then to get to the point where we actually were growing our business to now the pandemic has obviously, you know, which is a story of all independent restaurants, you know, the, the restaurant industry at large is a lot of layoffs, a lot of shakeup, a lot of, you know, we laid off 29 employees on March 17th, 2020, and that was devastating to, to do given how much these people mean to who we are and what we our community. Um, but knowing that, we had to change, we had to pivot even from being a digital restaurant. I mean, we went more into being a digital restaurant and because of that, because of incorporating things like about the, an online ordering system for our restaurant that allows us to now actually tip out more people in that restaurant. So we're tipping out the heart of the house. We're increasing the pay. We're making better pay for the heart of the house. We're making better pay for the hosts, making better pay for the bartenders. It's a completely different model than the full service restaurant that we used to have. So, you know, part of 
I agree with what everyone's talked about with as far as retention and as far as, you know, being a father and understanding that homework is something that I grew up with, that my grandfather would stress, make sure that you do your homework. He was a, a farm boy that came to this, this country because of his curiosity, his love of reading, his love of working hard. But, you know, to what end? You know, what I love about what Chef Jensen is doing and the Best Serve team is doing is bringing diversity of thought, bringing people like Jeannie in here and Zoe and Corey and Hassel and uh, Kiana. Like, this is important. It's important to have these conversations, and it's also important to get other owner-operators involved in this conversation to talk about the struggles. It's great to have an ideal, which I love Jeannie calling it, <laughs> calling it out for what it is, but then how do we get there? You know, how do we get there in all these different cities and all these different communities in all these different villages? Because we all have different things that we need to do. And yes, the great thing about the, what you've put together, uh, Jensen, is that these are media headlines. So as the media, we see an Arkansas owner paying for his employees, which are students, to come in to get good grades. That's fantastic. But it's fantastic because it makes a headline, but it doesn't address what we've all talked about, what we've all addressed is the actual, the problem. Like, why is that even happening? So I appreciate the, the space and I look forward to diving deeper into all these topics. Yeah, for me on this topic of, of creativity and the way that we're, we're thinking about the models is the answer to me is both. Like, you fundamentally need to invest in wages, benefits, culture, and education. There's no question of if it's, is it the right amount? So we're always big on understanding the living wage and all that. That goes without saying you cannot and should not operate a business if you're not able to meet those basic, basic needs. And then the creativity side, I'm all for figuring out what those additional ways to just involve something that's that's true to who you are as, as a brand so none of these brands necessarily did something like well that makes a ton of sense because that's part of their ethos and they were doubling down on that ethos in a creative way that's not really what i saw here this a lot of times seems like like desperation which obviously i understand but i'm very interested in the brewery that is a a, a pet friendly brewery dog friendly brewery and they give their employees pet insurance because quite often, not only do we not have insurance for ourselves, but we're having to decide whether we're going to pay to get our dog dewormed or take care of ourselves. And those are devastating decisions that people have to make. So I do like the idea of having those things that are creative in a way that speaks to who you are as a, as a brand, as a company, as a team. So uh, I think there's space for creativity. It just has to be something that is that is genuine to who the company is, what that community is all about versus it being just to grab a headline to say we're doing something better than everybody else even though we're putting 16% of our labor force in, in the poverty red line. So uh, appreciate this one. So many more things we got to talk about. I'm sure every week in some way, shape, or form something about labor is going to come up, something about wages, about benefits is going to come up. Uh, let's move on to this next one, CNBC had Chipotle earnings crush estimates as sales jumped 22%, higher menu prices, offset raising costs. This, like, crush it, like they went to the fucking moon uh, and beat those Wall Street, like, that to me is just, like, garbage. What I'm interested in, in this conversation, is right-sizing pricing on menus. We don't value food enough. We don't value the people that prepare food enough. Uh, that this group knows and has been well established. So, you know, the raising prices is absolutely terrifying to so many people in the, in the restaurant industry. And, uh, and so I was interested in this, you know, they've announced in June, they were increasing prices by 4%. Uh, we saw through the pandemic, uh, really 4.6% of, of price increases across the industry from July of 2020. So about four, four and a half percent. But then you look at some other segments. You look at like Taco Bell has raised its price 10%. McDonald's 8%. Dunkin' Donuts 8%. So we're saying that we value enough an increase in price for fast food at 10%. But the independent operator can barely be raising its prices at 4%. And that creating a lot of friction potentially internally. So I'm interested in dissecting that a little bit. Uh, please, anybody, go ahead and jump in on the topic of uh, of raising prices. 
I want to start, if that's okay. Um, I think this speaks to a huge issue in our industry where we have such a hard time being proactive and instead are reactive. Um, I think, you know, reacting, this is, this is a reactive uh, move that's happening right now with the 4% or whatever, you know, increase is allowed. Um, being proactive, I think part of that is educating consumers. It is ridiculous how little we pay for culinary experiences. And it goes all the way from the top to the bottom. And what happens is that we, the consumer doesn't understand that a culinary experience is a privilege. It's not a right. You know, it's a privilege to go out to eat. It's a privilege to be served. It's a privilege to have access to a culinary experience that has had hours and days and weeks and years and decades of experience built into it. Um, and so I think the, first part of being proactive is definitely educating consumers on this and educating everyone that eats out that, you know, you're paying for, emo you're paying for emotional labor. You don't think you are because you don't see it on your bill, but you're paying for emotional labor when you're being served in and having a culinary experience. And so I think, um, yeah, there needs to be increase across the board because the supply chain has been affected and all you know, chefs, owner operators, whether you own a bar, hotel, a distillery, whatever it is in this industry that you own, you're feeling the difference. What you used to pay two years ago or even a year ago is not what you're paying now. And so that needs to be educated and reflected. And you do that through content, you do that through marketing, you do it through your website, you do it through the service, your you know, all of your team needs to be trained properly to be able to communicate all of these messages out to your customers. Um, customers currently do not understand what things cost because we have done a very piss poor job of educating consumers on what a culinary experience actually costs. Um, so, and fast food obviously doesn't help because the way that that whole entire business model, it, it constantly, you know, underprices again, what food actually costs. And, you know, we see it with uh, even agriculture and even what migrant workers are paid for their time. It, it doesn't all add up. When you do the proper math, what we should be paying is much, much higher. And I hope that this is the beginning of us moving in that direction. Um, I'll jump in if it's okay. It's Zoe. Um, yeah, I agree with everything Hassel said. And also, I mean, what strikes me about this headline, honestly, is the lack of let me find a good word for this. Um, the lack of consideration for the times we're in, right? We're still in a pandemic <laughs> and there are still hundreds of thousands of people, at least many, many multiple thousands of people who've been disenfranchised from their businesses, who've lost jobs, who've blah, blah, blah. You know, all of these things are still happening and exist. And, you know, supply chain issues might be causing the cost of food to rise. But Chipotle made... 22% profit. So, you know, if they were a business, if that were me and I own that chain and I made 22% profits, I wouldn't be hiking the price on one goddamn thing right now. Do you know what I mean? It's like, where's your like responsibility to your consumer, to your staff, to your supply chain, all of these things. It's like, it's just another case of like greed over grace, honestly. And I'm really fucking sick of it. <laughs> Yeah, Sean, Jeannie, Kiana, any of you want to want to jump in? Please go ahead. Yeah, I'm trying to formulate my thoughts. And also I was like finishing laughing at Zoe's last statement. <laughs> um, gosh, I mean, so many things, so many things that you can think through and talk about, you know, um, for those that don't know, I used to work for One Fair Wage. It's how I know Sean. And, um, uh, and, and this is what we know to be true, right? Is if you give like this is how the economics works right like if you give the most amount of people that you possibly can the most amount of money especially in our industry they're going to spend it and they're going to fuel their their, their economy their local economy right and so it's just like all all of these chains and restaurants that you know that pay um and you know 
basically run the National Restaurant Association and all they care about is like a stranglehold on like decreased wages for our labor force, you know, and like making sure that they're squeezing as much profit as possible off of the backs of humans, you know, but it's just like the reality is, and they would make, and this is proving that they make more money if they're paying at people properly. Right. Because what happens is like these workers are like, oh, now I can afford to eat at the fucking place I work at, you know, and so they're spending their dollars and they're spending their paychecks, you know. Um, so I guess I just it it's just like and, and like what what's the increase, you know, four percent. Like, I mean, I've done so many wage models where it's just like, what do you need to do to transition to like pay people more? And it's usually about four or five percent, you know. And it's like, what is that? Like a $10 thing? I mean, I don't eat at Chipotle, but my assumption is like 10 bucks for something. So now it's 10.50, you know, like that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm having a lot of conflicted feelings as I'm talking about this because like, also like, I agree that like eating in restaurants is a privilege, but like when you talk about like, you know, underserved communities and like food deserts and like making food priced so that it is accessible. Like I, there's just like a lot of like bigger things to continue to talk about, you know, cause that's all intersects with each other. So um, I don't know, like what's the best thing that came out of this is that Chipotle doing this or it making the news is that, um, I don't know, like it can be done and people should be paying people more. And since we live in a capitalist society, it's just like, and you win too, you know, you make more money at the end of the day, if you do this, um, maybe that's the like silver lining message that people can take from it, you know? Um, yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and jump in. I, the, the thing that I took away, um, which is a little bit different is, the fact that they have 25 million people on their app. Um, obviously, as somebody that hosts a podcast called Digital Hospitality, I'm fascinated with the intersection of technology, media, and the ability to build sustainable businesses into the future, um, to give access to more people, to slow food fast, is what I like to call it. Um, understanding that we're in the craft barbecue business, so how do we get people barbecue on their terms? And the fact that Chipotle is doing things that I admire on the digital side, I think will hopefully enable companies like them and enable independents like us to start to pay our people more, to start to address a lot of the things that we've already talked about. So um, I guess I'm, I'm probably always going to be on the, on the other side of the room with when it comes to, uh, you know, the, the, thing that, the thing that is driving me with, with that headline is definitely the engagement on the technology side. Because if that many people are engaged in Chipotle technology, then that many more people are going to be on Starbucks, then that many more people are going to start to want to order things. Um, and food experiences can be digital. Uh, and I'll, I'll continue to, to say that. So that's my take. I think my take here is similar to Jenny's. I think um, I would have loved to see a more of like a CSR approach with my communications background. Like, I, I guess in the entrepreneur side and the business side, great. You you went above and beyond. Twenty two percent is amazing for any business within the, the the climate that we're in right now. But how are you giving back to the people who helped you get to this great? metric it's it's kind of making me think back to the i'm not sure if you all saw the spank story where she gave she gave back to her employees understanding that they didn't have to come work for her you know it's 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 a privilege to be able to go out to eat it's the same privilege to be able to retain employees and they show up and give their best every day so i would have loved to see this kind of pivot a little bit more and i, and I know they, that they increased the um the wage to 15 dollars an hour but i mean depending on the city that may be way below the poverty line. So I think as far as making these great milestones, I think these companies really need to see how they're giving back to the people who made this type of metric possible. Keanu, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, and specifically Spanx CEO announced that after they got a $1.2 billion valuation that every single employee will be getting a, a $10,000 bonus and two first class plane tickets. Uh, anywhere in the world, uh, maybe think of, can't remember the name of the company now, but the CEO who a few years back said all employees have a minimum of $70,000 uh, in their salary and they've been exploding 
They've been dominating this capitalist uh, system with saying that this is what we believe in and we're going we're gonna to stick to it. So I think that's interesting. Anytime we talk about pricing in menus, there's three things that you will hear from me every single time. Number one is understanding the farm bill and subsidies and the way that we have positioned food as a commodity has created a huge vulnerability that we need to be aware of and need to continue to figure out ways to get out of depression area uh, modality that that was built upon is number one. Number two, we spend less as a percentage of income on food than almost any industrialized nation in the world. Vis-a-vis, we don't value food enough. And so that is something we need to grapple with and we need to understand as food people, which leads to the third thing. We value stories more than any society in history. We consume more stories than anybody in the world. And we value stories. We spend a decent amount of our disposable income on stories. And so I always think of Rob Walker, New York Magazine, did the Etsy kind of social experiment where they bought uh, a bunch of items, 100 items or whatever it was, off of Etsy, wrote these very compelling, beautiful stories about each of them, and then resold them and and did 6,400x their money because people were moved by story. And so even with these mundane, nothing innocuous items, they were able to make 6,400x. I imagine the food world, we have real stories, true stories, human stories, compelling stories, and we need to be able to bring those to the forefront. Because if you're just if you're just selling a burger, you're commoditized. You're vulnerable, right? We got to stop selling food. Start telling stories. Food is just the proof that you are who you say you are. Chipotle going out and doing this. Um, I feel gross about the about the Wall Street nature of it. I think now they've set a precedent, and I do like looking at what the big guys do, as, as Kyle talks about a lot. And I think there's an opportunity to see that if we shift approach. If we shift models and if we start telling stories, there is a real opportunity to right-size prices, which shift the opportunity for us to do wages, benefits, culture, and education properly for the first time maybe in our history as an industry. So uh, appreciate that input on this article. Let's go on uh, to the third piece, maybe a little bit lighter note. You know, we'll probably spread it out a little bit, heavy, heavy. Uh, a little bit calmer, even though sometimes these food trend things, they just make me feel like who the hell is looking at what uh, innovators are doing three years ago and saying, now this is the new food trend. It's like, what are you talking about? This has been my life for the last 10 years. This has been my life for the last 20 years. Like, and now all of a sudden it's cool and somebody's co-opting that. So that makes me feel a little bit you know, on that side. But Whole Foods Market reveals top 10 food trends for 2022. Uh, they actually have a, a trends council I don't know what the hell that is. More than 50 Whole Foods market team members, including local foragers, regional and global buyers, and culinary experts, compile trend predictions based on decades of experience. And I'm not even going to finish the rest. For the first time, though, I thought this was maybe interesting, uh, opportunistic, yet interesting. For the first time ever, Whole Foods market is offering the Trends Discovery Box, a curated assortment of 10 products to represent each of the 10 trends in the forecast. The box available for $30. Uh, allows customers a chance to taste all the trends at once. Uh, I don't know if people are going to know what to do with those, but really quick, let me go through uh, what these are. Ultra-urban farming, yuzu, reductionarianism, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that is, hibiscus, zero-proof spirits, uh, grains grown via agriculture practices and farming processes that help address soil health, sunflower seeds, moringa, um, I'll touch on that. I'm a big believer in that. Soda with probiotics and fizzy tonics with added prebiotics and botanicals and turmeric. Okay, who's uh, Kyle? Uh, so you you uh, you jumped in, Kyle and Sarah, everybody. Uh, National Restaurant Owners Podcast, uh, based out in New York, and is also focused on uh, on consulting and uh, and. Uh, relations with tenants in the real estate, commercial real estate space. Kyle, you want to jump in first on this one? Hey, what's up, Jensen? What's up, guys? How's it going? Sorry, I jumped in a little bit late here. Um, 
but yeah, the, this is the the trend stuff is always kind of like you were saying before. It's always like a little infuriating chasing the trends. I know they're kind of woven in and out of a lot of different, um, you know, you, you think about them, right? Like they come up and you're like, like, can I, can I get this on my menu? Is it worth it? Does it make sense? Uh, I always find them interesting, but I never have done like a look back on these lists. Are they really trends? Like did any, did anybody really like, Hey, is this actually a trend or is it just what you told me was going to be a trend and then I didn't pay attention or did you make it a trend with the article, you know? So, um, I don't know. I'm like a traditionalist. I like the Mariano Rivera approach, like bring your fastball, bring it all the time. I think when you start implementing to make trends into your menu, it becomes like too kitschy. Um, so maybe I'm just a boring traditionalist on this one, but I like to see the list, but I'm always like, I think you're trying to tell me what you want to push, not what's actually going to be a trend. So, um, that's just my two cents on it. Um, can I jump in real quick on this one? Because the, the people who make this report actually reached out to me. This is really funny, I think. So I have this column for today's show where I talk about West African ingredients and food, blah, blah, blah. And I wrote this big piece on Moringa. And I... Oh, no. Oh, no. Zoe just hung up on herself. We'll get we'll get her uh, Zoe back in here in a moment. Hopefully, uh, yeah. Anybody else want to jump in on this? I actually wanted to jump in. The first thing when I was reading through this, uh, my thought was two. Um, it just seems like a commercial to me. Um, and I and I did some research on you know who did they interview or um, get their research from, and it was all internal people. And we all know that the the food culinary is so much more expansive than just what whole foods provides um and so just the way they positioned it you get the box and then try it and then it's a list of you know where you can get it i get it from like a communication standpoint i just don't know how much value that brings to how it will shift or move the the you know the industry forward my second thing is you know as a publicist i always let my clients know that you know don't trends are you know it's only relevant if you already it's aligned with what your brand is. If it's inorganic, if you're just adding something just because of a rapport and it's not something that, you know, your audience would expect from you or would even want from you, then it will be null and void. So, you know, one of my clients has a, like a Caribbean background. If there's something on there that he can infuse into a menu item, or if it's something on there that he already has, like, of course, so let's reach out to local media, get that menu item position, let them know that it's a part of this trend report. But other than that, I think jumping on the bandwagon, trying to force something, that's just not something that I would, you know, even recommend that you would put your time and energy into because it would just fall on deaf ears if it's not organic to your brand. Zoe, go ahead and jump back in. We got you cut off. We heard Column Moringa gone. <laughs> Sorry, I got swept into a room with Kyle accidentally, a little private moment. Um, I was saying, yeah, that I talk about these ingredients all the time. I've been obviously using these ingredients my entire life. And they, they asked me if I wanted to see um, their trends report. And I looked at it and I was like, this, these aren't trends. This is just, you've just decided that you've seen people using these ingredients and you just want to ex ex exploit the fact that people are using these ingredients. So you're going to call it a trend to make it fashionable, which is just going to hike the price for everybody who's already using this again. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not a very, um, it's not a safe ecosystem, the whole concept of trends. For the, in the UK, like cooking West African food, but I speak to R&D companies in the UK still, they will say... <laughs> that West African food isn't trending. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Every small business, supper club, restaurant, who's West African, I know, is producing spices, is producing condiments, is producing, um, you know, ready off the shelf jollof, whatever it is. It's like, it's beyond the trend. It's already happening. Like, wh why are you so blind? And it's like, consistently seems to be the people who compile these reports don't really have a good sense of what is going on in the marketplace, you know, but they'll look at places like Instagram and social media and whatever's buzzy or trending a lot on TikTok. Um, then it goes into one of these ridiculous reports. But I mean, it's good for me because it means people will start eating Moringa and using hibiscus maybe, but they're probably not going to buy it from me. And that's the problematic point. Um, 
you know, when Whole Foods crack onto what they call a trend or a new ingredient, new in air quotes, you know, it's good because lots of people start using it perhaps, but at the same time, it's doing that appropriation thing where it cancels out everybody else who's been doing this for such a long time, undercuts them price-wise, and then, you know, people like me are like, well, probably going to, for a minute, I might, you know, have a spike in sales, and then people will realise, oh, I really love this idea of a transparent supply chain, but actually I can get it cheaper at Whole Foods. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I don't think too much of it, honestly. Um, and as regards, I agree with what everybody said there, Kiana and uh, Hassel and Jeannie, I think that, you know, trends, when you're in the food game, and this goes back to story as well, is what's your story? What's your concept? Why are you doing this? Like, just because Moringa is out in the world, it's got nothing to do with, or any relationship with, you know, the history or the narrative of the story of why you do what you do, then it doesn't deserve to be on your menu, really, you know? So, yeah, I, I basically agree with everybody and just adding to it, I suppose. <laughs> I'm done. Jensen, I got a different take. Hit us. So, I mean, one of the things that we do all the time, it's something we've done for ourselves. We turned ourselves into a barbecue media company. So we teach entrepreneurs and small business owners, restaurant owners, that they need to be their own media company. And by sharing their own story of what's happening in their village, then they can make an impact. So the thing that's interesting to me in this category is this is Whole Foods literally acting as their own media company. They're capitalizing on the fact that trends will get picked up by other media outlets and shared, which is why we're even talking about it. I mean, the example that I can share is that when we became a barbecue media company and started our first blog and started our first podcast, I wrote an article about the best barbecue podcasts on the internet. And I included ourselves in that blog as a joke. And I mentioned it in the beginning, like we're including ourselves in the, this list, this trends list of best barbecue podcasts to listen to, knowing full well what we're doing, that this is search engine optimization. And it turns out now, four years later, it's one of the most trafficked site uh, pages that we have on our website. So I don't fault uh, Whole Foods for doing what they're doing. Um, I'm actually very um, fascinated the fact that they added the Amazon Prime um, component to it to actually put all these products together. And um, I think that more people should do it because you don't need permission to be your own media company. Okay. I want a little bit of respectful, thoughtful disagreement here. I really don't agree with what was just shared. Um, I think a trend, first of all, is supposed to be a direction in which something is developing or changing. It's not a trend if nothing's developing or changing. If you're just appropriating an ingredient from another culture and, you know, taking advantage of that and using it on your blog to get SEO hits or whatever. That's not a trend that, and I, I love what you're saying about being your own media agency and content being, you know, a driving force in how you do business, but then acknowledge what you're doing. Then right on your page, we are, you know, we are writing about an ingredient that we, that actually isn't a trend that we are learning about from other cultures and we are using that to our advantage and leveraging this to, you know, get attention or get more business or make more money or whatever it is. Like if you're actually going to do that, then acknowledge it and own it and hold yourself accountable. And that's not what happens. And like Moringa, I mean, that being a quote unquote trend, <laughs> it's the same thing that happened a few years ago with fucking uh, avocado toast. So I'm, my parents are Chile Chilean. I am Latina. I have grown up with avocado on toast my entire fucking life. It's not a trend. It's part of a culture, Latin culture. You know, in the same way that you butter toast, we use avocado and put it on our toast. And the fact that that became a trend was the most ridiculous, most bizarre experience, uh, you know, uh, during my adult life to watch that happen and, and see what, you know, and then go into stores and see it on a menu for whatever it costs. Like what Zoe said is absolutely true. That is exactly what happens. People end up going to businesses, you know, to pay three times the amount that they would if they went to a Latin American restaurant and ordered fucking avocado on toast. Um, so anyway, sorry to swear so much. It's just this 
is one topic that really makes me crazy. I hate trends. I think they're the most ridiculous thing ever. I think if, listen, if we're actually innovating and, and creating new things, then yes, it's a trend. But if you're just taking someone else's culture and making money off of it, I think that's really racist. And I think that that's really disgusting. Um, and you know, the last thing I'll say also is just that (sighs) trends get used as a tactic versus like, it's the same thing to me as, um, top a hundred lists or best of restaurants or whatever, all those different kinds of lists that exist instead of actually giving credit where it's due, instead of actually celebrating our industry for the innovative, you know, creative industry it is, um, it, these things get abused and used in ways that actually ends up harming a lot of the sector. That's it for me. Um, yes, that. <laughs> um, so much, so much good stuff everyone's sharing. So appreciative. Um, I think I'll just jump in and say like, like two things about like, can we not have reductionism in urban farming be a trend? Like, can it actually just be a thing that we do? And hey, Whole Foods, like I'm in Seattle, like, you know, I guess Amazon's in Seattle that owns Whole Foods, but it's like, can you build some urban farms here in Seattle? Cause we could use them, especially in the South End, you know, like what's going on? Like, if you're gonna talk about this trend, like you have the like the capacity to do something about it, like be a trendsetter, you know what I'm saying? Like. Like, let's, like, do something instead of just, like, point it out for your own capitalistic gains, you know? Like, um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't really, like, fully formed that thought because I was, like, really listening intently to everything everyone else is saying. But, like, that's just kind of where I'm feeling. Like, let's let's make that a reality. Like, if we're going to talk about it, like, actually do something about it, you know? Um, I'm just going to add real quick to that. Of what Jeannie and Ash have both of us. Uh, Jesus, I can't speak. Um, wanted to add this is that I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that what Hassel said about cultural appropriation is like if you look at that trends report and who they've put into their gift boxes as well, it's like who are the companies or brands who are apparently trendy and trending when it comes to Moringa or um, hibiscus. I'll bet you less than 5%, if any percent, of black or BIPOC-owned brands that exist and are out in the world for many, many years, you know? So it's like, okay, Whole Foods, you've noticed that there is a very large community of people that work with these ingredients. Why don't you support that community of people who work with these ingredients and put those on your shelves and stock those brands and push that instead of, you know, plucking your discovery from out of your asshole, frankly? And then, you know doing the same old thing where you're just re- refinancing white-led business and big business instead of encouraging and nurturing and developing BIPOC founders. It's like, it's just a very boring scene. Like these companies who purport to be doing or saying one thing just don't actually do it. And I don't really get why, because it's not that difficult. It's just not, it's not a very big margin of space between A and B here. It's like, oh, wow, look at this community. Or even if it's a health and wellness community, you still have to do the work, Whole Foods, of tracing back where they're getting that from. Because, you know, the wellness community didn't invent Moringa either. It's been in Ayurvedic medicine for thousands of years. It's been in Africa for thousands of years. So, you know, it's just all very frustrating. It's like, that's it, the end. I'll give up, otherwise I'm going to start swearing and cursing probably. Kiana, anything, uh, anything to add for you? Or did you already? Wait, you did oh, already. I did already, but right. I think everyone made great Good. points. We'll, 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 uh, we'll wrap this. A couple things that I, I wanted to add into this. Once again, I think this creates an opportunity, as Sean mentioned. I think the, the restaurant that does the avocado toast absolutely needs to be talking about the avocado toast and the farmer that they get the avocados from and the baker that makes their bread. Could not agree more that you need to be able to tell that meaningful story because once again the avocado toast is a human experience manifested into a dish right and so i think that's going to be incredibly important for brands to be able to do and once again you see what whole foods is doing 
in a, in a very, to me, I, I mentioned at the onset, like I, f- I feel sleazy when I see these things. Yet I also think, it's like Sean said, it's, it's important for brands to understand that there is an opportunity for them to highlight what they do in that way of being the storyteller and introducing people to those products. And I think as you're seeing more of, uh, of virtual kitchen opportunities, I think being able to bring stuff into people's homes and introduce uh, these different culturally relevant, uh, regionally relevant, personally relevant items to the forefront, I think is super important. I think, uh, I love how much we've said Moringa in this because I feel this 100% very personally. My mother and two sisters have a company called Moringa for Life. They've been making, uh, I remember making teas and like capsules 22 years ago in our garage and has been uh, working with the Sri Lankan government to figure out how to plant more trees, Uganda, uh, all over the world, Mexico, has been working on Moringa projects. And then I saw Cooley Cooley Foods who just did a Series B $25 million raise and then said that they were the first company to sell Moringa products in the United States, which is like, wait, what's, there's whole communities of, of Hmong people in California that have been uh, growing Moringa and, and things like that. So I think it's important uh, to recognize, and Kiana mentioned this, like, like if they're going to try and take your shit. They're going to try always. They're going to try. Whoever they are are going to try and co-opt and and take from you the thing that you is innately yours has been passed down is what you're all about. Uh I think if we again have the ability to be able to tell those stories, be able to connect with those communities, it's like we are here and we've been here and if this is a moment that that there's a little bit of attention, then please like take the attention the ability to bring your Filipino culture to the forefront because Carlo La Magna has been, been working and working and working to bring Filipino culture to Portland, Oregon for years and years and years and years in his French American restaurant. But just that one dish created the opportunity for Magna Casina and now food and wine, you know, best new chef. Well, you know, he's been an amazing chef for 20 years but like he for sure now has an opportunity to bring that to the forefront. So there needs to be those opportunities and end roads, but don't let anybody take your story away from you. It was the biggest takeaway I have. You can absolutely tell your story and, uh, no, no whole foods or Chipotle or anybody can, can fucking take that. So that was my big takeaway from all of this is like, we just need to own our own stories and, uh, and not be beholden to anybody like, you don't need your products sold through Whole Foods. You go to you go direct to consumer and sell that on Instagram. Like you have the opportunity to bring that to the forefront, and uh, the powers that be are always going to try and take that away from you. Uh, but they're giving you a little bit of an opportunity because now their big monolithic machine is uh, is bringing some attention. So if you go ahead and and siphon and steal right back from them whatever good practices. But make sure you stay true to yourself because it's easy to spin off your access and then just start becoming a caricature of yourself. We've seen that time and again. So uh, amazing. <laughs> this was really, really great. What a great way to start uh, Friday Food News Roundup. Uh, just a way for us to kind of see what's happening out there, bring our thoughts to the forefront, be able to, to throw shade where shade needs to be thrown within the system, to find those little inklings of... Uh, of good and goodwill and uh, good opportunity as well. Shift our mindset, understand new models, and uh, so grateful to uh, to this crew here for being able to bring these to the forefront. Once again, uh, this recording, we ran out of time, so won't be able to bring anybody up on stage. But again, info at bestservedpodcast.com if you want to uh, share any links with us that we might be able to bring into the discussion for any upcoming weeks. And uh, this was recorded, so this will be over on Besser Podcast, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts uh, here just in a couple hours. And if you're listening on the podcast recording, get over to Clubhouse, become a part of these conversations that are on stage here, have uh, you know even met on, uh, on Clubhouse, and this created an opportunity for us to be here now and be contributing and learning from each other and challenging each other. And I think it's important uh, discourse for us to be able to go through in this industry. Uh, 
Yeah, I think that's it. Sean, Kiana, Hassel, Jeannie, Kyle, Zoe. Of course, Corey was here on the ones and twos uh, recording for us. So, and thank you to everybody who uh, who popped into this uh, this first room. We'll be here every single week from three to four p.m. Eastern time, dissecting different topics, different headlines uh, across the industry, and see if we can't bring some value and and keep moving this thing forward. So. Uh, yeah, thanks to all of you. I'll, I'll, we'll go ahead and end the room on this, get everyone back to their day. Thank you so much to all of you. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.